Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for this 14th day of October. I'm Paul White, and I want to thank you for joining me today as we continue our look at the Apostles' Creed. Today, I want to deal with the line, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This is one of those lines that when I read commentators on the creed, they admit that people sort of privately testify to them or confess to them that this is a line they struggle with. The conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, this this line that speaks of the supernaturalness of Jesus' birth seems to bump up against people's logic and their reason. And so some have even stated that they don't really feel comfortable reciting the creed or praying the creed because they don't necessarily line up with the concept of virgin birth. I am not going to try and convince you one way or the other. That's not my point in studying the creed. I'm really trying to get to the bottom of how this came to be the bedrock of Christian theology, why we have this prayer. Because it's ancient. We're not talking about something that we've come up with in the last couple hundred years. We're talking about a a creed that in one form or the other stretches back at least into the second century. We start to see it formulating. And that's the very end of the the very last of the original apostles. John dies in the early second century. And so right out of that, we get to creed. So how did they view the things we take to be so important or precious, or maybe even we take them through a different lens. Well, first of all, the ancients did not see conception and childbearing in quite the same way that we do because we see it through the lens of science and biology, which is something they didn't have. What they did see was that the male carried the seed and the seed was then carried by the womb of the woman. And how they viewed that was that God had basically designed humanity and animals to function in the same way he had designed earth and the soil. And so as you dropped a seed into the ground, which by the way is why they called what man carried seed, as you drop seed into the ground, then the ground would care for the seed provide a space for the seed, and then the seed would grow out of the ground. And that's why they thought that any motherly characteristics or traits, be it mental, emotional, or physical, any motherly uh, traits that showed up in kids were just thought of the same way we think of soil or the same way we think of environment. If you plant a seed in a field the final product might have vestiges of its environment. It might have vestiges of what kind of soil it was raised in or uh, be a product of the environment around it based upon that particular field. But it will still be, say it's corn, it'll still be corn because that's the seed that was put in the ground, but it might be a corn that has a different flavor, has a different taste based upon the soil. And the ancients sort of saw childbirth that way. The male carried who he was And what the female contributed to that birth was the environment, was some of the characteristics of who she is came out in the birth of that child. So they didn't have a biology behind it. They didn't have a science behind it. 
And for that reason, in the creed, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, is not an attempt to explain Jesus' biology because they didn't think in terms of biology, but it is meant to make a twofold declaration. And number one, that Jesus' birth was unique and special. That's conceived by the Holy Spirit. And number two, that Jesus' birth was real, that he was actually born. He was a real human being, which seems almost like a silly argument to us, but to that generation, it was the greatest threat to Christianity. And so conceived by the Holy Spirit speaks to the uniqueness of his birth, born of the Virgin Mary, born of an actual woman, makes his birth real. Now, the reason why Virgin Mary is so essential in this passage is actually opposite of why we think it's there. What I mean by that is if you watch the recurrent theme of the Old Testament, there are several, but there's one that's undeniable. Once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it. It pops up over and over, all the way up even into the early pages of the New Testament, and that is the recurrent theme of the barren woman. Abraham and Sarah. Sarah is barren. Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah is barren. Jacob and Rachel. Rachel is barren. Out of these come sons of promise. We even get a story of a son of promise versus a son of the flesh. That story of uh, Sarah and Hagar or Isaac and Ishmael, that the son of promise is God intervenes in the birth by touching the barren woman, making the birth of the promised son a miraculous birth. And that recurrent theme then moves over deeper into the text. Samson's mother was barren. Samuel's mother was barren. John the Baptist's mother was barren. Conception in that Narrative is seen as an act of God to fulfill the purpose of God. And then comes Mary. And Mary becomes the culmination of that biblical narrative. It never happens again after Mary that we have the barren woman. The barren woman no longer barren because God, by his divine intervention, has brought his son onto the earth. Again, let me reiterate Christianity's Greatest early threat were those who taught that Jesus was not really human. Into that environment, the North African theologian Tertullian wrote this. Remember Marcion, that character we talked about a few days ago, whose teachings were prevalent in the early church, um, son of a bishop, born near the Black Sea, talked about him a few days ago, that held that, that God the Father and Jesus were not the same, the God of Jesus rather was not the same, um, of, as the God of the Old Testament. Remember that guy? Okay. Tertullian wrote of him and said this, Marcion, in order that he might deny the flesh of Christ, denied also his nativity, or else he denied his flesh in order that he might deny his nativity. Because, of course, he was afraid that his nativity and his flesh bore mutual testimony to each other's reality, since there is no nativity without flesh and no flesh without nativity. He who represented the flesh of Christ to be imaginary was equally able to pass off his nativity as a phantom so that the virgin's conception and pregnancy and childbearing and then the whole course of her infant too would have to be regarded as imaginary. So if you catch this, 
The virgin conception was meant to prove not the divinity of Jesus, but was meant to prove the humanity of Jesus. Because by declaring him born of the virgin, they were putting him in the long line of promised sons to barren women. And promised sons were real boys, but they were given by the hand of the miraculous, by the hand of God. That, that's incredible to me. It, it states unequivocally that the birth is messy, babies are powerless. By putting Jesus into the messy and the powerless, claiming him to be born of the virgin is not to dehumanize his birth, but to humanize his birth as the result of the miraculous. Wow. This was the first day in our creed journey, by the way, that I didn't read a specific verse. I had a lot of biblical characters to throw in, so there was no specific verse, but I hope you've enjoyed it. More from the creed tomorrow. God bless.